the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program, the Wednesday edition of the show. I had a thought just now as the announcer was introducing me. Uh, Every day at 4 o'clock, I hear that announcement. We're just getting ready to go on the air. I know it's going to happen tomorrow, Lord willing, unless Jesus comes or something happens to me. But the one thing I never want to do, and I hope this is communicated to this audience very clearly. I never want to take for granted what a privilege and an honor it is that people are actually taking time out of their day to tune in and listen to the program. We so appreciate your contributions. We love answering your questions. Most of all, we hope that you fall in love with Jesus because when you do, your life changes forever. And that really is a privilege. Paul and I were speaking today and she brought up one of my favorite verses, Philemon verse 6. When Paul said that, I pray, he was praying this to Philemon, who is a pastor, by the way. He said, I pray that you'll be active in sharing your faith so that you'll have a full understanding of every good thing that we have in Christ. And I'm so grateful for the opportunity to share my faith, to to share answers to people who are lost and hurting and hungry and broken and needy and confused. We get that opportunity every day. And I hope and pray that you and the audience truly understand how Wonderfully, I value the opportunity to do this program. Enough for that. 210-340-9585 for your live calls and questions. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can send them in via our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the very safest way to call is to use your hands-free feature of the of your phone, the KSLR free mobile app. Um, hit the Call Now button at the top of the screen, and you'll be connected directly to our studio producers. And I'm told that we have a full house of studio producers today, so uh, we'd love to have your questions and phone calls. Uh, it's because it's Wednesday tonight. We have our midweek Old Testament Bible study tonight. I'm going to be in Second Samuel chapter 16, and frankly, it's been beating me up a little bit because it's been bringing up some bad memories. Um, you know, we all go through difficult times, and every pastor understands that. Uh, and and the difficult time that David is going through now, it's sort of like when it rains, it pours. And um, I think there's a lot that we can learn from this chapter. Actually, chapter 16 and 17 is just one big, long chapter, um, but um, I'm only going to be able to do half of it tonight, so just chapter 16. So that's tonight here at 7 o'clock. It's also uh, date day tomorrow. That means Paula will be live in studio with us. Ladies, it is your program tomorrow. Whatever's on your heart, Paula can answer. And by the way, it's her birthday tomorrow, so she can answer your questions or supply you encouragement on her birthday. We'd love to have your phone calls, so be prepared for that. 
340-9585. Here is our first question, Victor. Um, Victor's angry. He says, I refuse to believe that those who have same-sex attraction are evil or that the act of having sex in gender is unnatural. What kind of God would say those things to people created in his image? Victor, um, you can refuse to believe all you want, but that doesn't change the fact that what God said in his word is true. Um, You can try to change him to accommodate your lifestyle or to accommodate the lifestyle of somebody you care about. But God never changes. He's always the same. Now, I want to make a couple of things clear because I think your choice of words is telling. Um, Those who have same-sex attraction, nobody on this program anyway said they're evil. Um, But the act of having sex with the same gender is clearly and demonstrably unnatural. Now, here's the thing that we have to understand. Victor, when we are born, we're born with a sin nature. That means every one of us is doomed. There has to be a rescue mission in order for us to get to heaven. And, of course, that should be the goal of every human being. We want to go instinctively. We know there's something better out there. But we all sin continually and fall short of the glory of God continually. I guess it's a really nice way of saying that we're all evil or wicked at heart. However, that's why Jesus came up with the rescue mission. It's why Jesus died for our sins so that he who knew no sin could become sin. In exchange, he gives us, we give him our sin And he gives us his perfection, his righteousness. And yet because this is a God who is holy, God sets the rules for the way we use these bodies in this life. It is just as inherently evil for a heterosexual man or woman to have sex with somebody they're not married to and do so willfully as it is for two people of the same sex. You can refuse all you want to. But God created us. That means he owns us. Not only did he create us, he redeemed us. He bought us out of our sin. And thus he alone has the right to determine what's right and wrong. And he has given us guidelines, not because he doesn't want us to have fun, not because he doesn't want us to pursue whatever we think is going to make us happy, but because he knows that some things are good for us and some things are bad for us. So those who have same-sex attraction, if they are fighting that same-sex attraction to honor Jesus Christ, God smiles upon them. But if they indulge their flesh and then treat God like he owes it to them to make them happy, well, then that's rebellion, and those people are doomed to an eternity in hell. What kind of God would say those things to people created his image, you ask? Let me tell you. What kind of God would say that the God who created Adam and Eve knowing they would fall? A God who, in unanimity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, determined that this rescue mission for our souls had to be accomplished. The Son of God who was chosen to take on human flesh and to be beaten without mercy so that we wouldn't have to be punished for our sins. A Father who sent His only Son to die on the cross. That's the kind of God who would tell people who are in sin to stop sinning. And Victor, your question wants to make this all about homosexuality or same-sex attraction or in-sex or, or, or in-gender sexual activity. But this question is about people who are separated from God by sin and that represents every one of us. And if you come to Jesus, we come on his terms and his terms alone. 
He accepts you the way you are, but he loves you too much to let you stay that way. And so we come to him on his terms. If we come to him demanding that he bow to our terms, then he isn't God by definition. The roles are reversed and we're making ourselves God. So yeah, everyone is made in his image, male and female, he created them. But to be made in his image doesn't mean that God approves of every evil thing that we do. To be made in the image of God means two things. One, that we're born with the capacity of choice. Just as God chose us, we have the ability and the freedom to choose him. The second thing that being made in his image means is that we're going to be, all of us, eternal. The moment we are born, we're going to live somewhere forever and ever. There's only two options, heaven or hell. And that's why Jesus went to such great lengths to make an option for us that includes heaven. That's why when you hear me say in this program, Victor, that only Christians, born-again believers, are going to be in heaven, it's not because God doesn't want other people there or that he's excluding other people there. What he's saying is that I alone died for your sins. I alone gave you my righteousness. And that's why Jesus said that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. So you can refuse all you want, Victor, but the truth of the matter is that our bodies biologically tell us that having sex with someone of the same gender is indeed unnatural. God says don't do it, and we do it, and we can't escape the consequences. And I want to repeat so that nobody can say I'm being heavy-handed as it relates to those who have same-sex attraction. Everybody who sins is headed to hell for eternity unless they come to Jesus on his terms. He's the boss. He's the boss. That's all we need to know. So, Victor, please consider that if you could make God bow down to you, and that's what you're asking in your question. Well, that's not a God who can save anybody. Here's a question from Theo. Theo said... Pastor Ron, you said this week that Isaiah saw Jesus instead of him seeing God. Are you in error? Uh, Theo, no, I'm not. John chapter 12, verse 41 um, tells us by inspiration of the Holy Spirit that what Isaiah saw in chapter 6, when he saw the throne of God, when he saw the train of his robe that filled the temple with glory, when he saw the angels flying around the throne, crying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. John tells us that what he saw was Jesus. For all of us then, for Isaiah, for us now, there's no way any human can see God except by looking at Jesus. God became a man that we might be able to relate to him. Now, why was it written that he saw the throne of God? Because Isaiah had no idea about the person of Jesus Christ or God becoming a man. It's amazing he wrote all these wonderful prophecies about this same Jesus. And he must have been so intrigued. You know, Isaiah prophesied for decades and decades. His was a more than 50-year ministry. And I often wonder just how often he must have shaken his head thinking, what are these promises? He would prophesy of the millennial kingdom. He would prophesy of the virgin birth. He would prophesy of all these great and glorious promises. And yet it wasn't until he saw Jesus that he really and truly understood the glory of God. So, Theo, I'm not in error. It's John chapter 12, verse 41. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. 
Here is an anonymous question. Do you recommend the ministry of Vince Vitale? Uh, I do. I do uh, recommend uh, Vince, his books, um, hardly. Uh, Vince is uh, a brilliant guy. Um, you know, he's from Jersey. So he didn't sound brilliant, but he really is a brilliant guy. Um, was a great soccer player, by the way, a college soccer player, an All-American. Uh, but Vince is a guy that I personally listen to. Um, he is in partnership and most often associated with the ministry of Ravi Zacharias. And uh, Ravi is um, likewise somebody that I can recommend unreservedly. Uh, and uh, Vince is um, maybe the smarter half of that combination. Uh, and that's saying something because Ravi is brilliant. But uh, I just can't imagine that you'd have any problem. He's somebody that you could listen to a lot. Now, one of the things that we have to understand when we listen to people like Vince and, and Ravi is that they speak over and over, most often on the college circuit. They still speak in churches and things like that as well. But um, they'll, they'll go to universities and they'll answer questions from skeptics and from outright unbelievers. Uh, and, and so they they repeat themselves a lot. You know, they don't reinvent the wheel. They go from one college campus to another, from one church to another, basically answering the same questions. They are both prolific authors. In fact, they've just co-authored, co-authored uh, a book, uh, Jesus Among Secular Gods, which I can recommend uh, as well. Um, so once you've heard a lot of their stuff, you've heard it. You're not going to hear a whole bunch new. One of the things that attracts me to their ministry is their consistency. And, you know, they're boldly proclaiming the true word of God. And so, um, yeah, I recommend him highly. Um, and you can find him on YouTube. You can find him um all kinds of other places, good stuff. So Vince Vitale is a keeper, no problem at all. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. We've got my friend in San Leandro again. Tanya, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. How are you? I'm doing well. Can thanks. you hear me? Oh, great. Yes. So listen, um, I have a question for you. I was speaking to a fellow believer, and sometimes people don't want to call you or ask you. I'm like, I'll ask. I'll call. I don't care. <laughs> we, we, I'm like, I, I'd rather you know hear straight from your mouth here. If I don't, if I can't find the answer, and I'm not obviously even close to you when it comes to knowing the scriptures, but I'm trying. Um, and so he asked a question about the Jewish people. Um, she said, you know, back in the Old Testament, we know that they were the apple of God's eye. And she said, what's the difference between Israelites and Jews? And she says, are they still the apple of God's eye, even if they profess to love God, but they don't believe in the Messiah? And so that was her question had to do with, you know, how does that how does that relate? I said, well, everyone's the apple of God's eye for those that receive you know his son as their savior and so she was more that was her question was was with you know what's the difference between israelites and jews and is if being a jewish is a title or a religion so i didn't have an answer for any of that um at all and i didn't know if you could help me out with that i can okay great i'll take your answer off the air and i love you and i'm getting ready for miss mama paula's birthday tomorrow (laughs) i'm excited for her thank you tanya god bless Uh bye-bye um, you know, from, from the beginning, uh, the Jews or the Hebrews, um, there was confusion, the Israelites. Well, it started with Jacob. Jacob uh, was given a name by God, Israel. Uh, Jacob, one of the patriarchs, um, his name, um, Jacob, means uh, literally supplanter or one who takes advantage of another. Um, we might call him a con man. But when God changed his name, he said, you will be called Israel. Now, Israel means governed by God. So Israel has two um, identities, one, a national identity. And then Jews who were governed by God. Now, let me also say, Tanya, that um, the Jews are a very special apple of God's eyes. You know, we're his bride. um, We're his glory. We're his inheritance. But the Jewish people, and this is why um, any theology tells you God is done with Israel or done with individual Jews, is is satanic at its core. Um, 
um, Israel is his peculiar people, his chosen, called-out people. He didn't choose them because they were smarter than other people, or they were more spiritual than other people, or even that they were seeking God. He called them because, just like New Testament Christians, he chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, the weak things to shame the strong, the despised things, even the things that are not. So God not only has a very special place in his heart uh, and in his future, by the way, for, for, for Israel, those governed by God, um, God can't change. He loves them as much as he ever did. Now, here's the problem. He poured out his love on them. He called them specifically, and they rejected him. Individual Jews rejected Jesus. Jesus looked out over the Temple Mount at the end of his ministry. He's about to die, and he wept over Jerusalem. He said, oh, if you knew, if you only knew Jerusalem, I've come to gather you as a mother hen gathers her chicks. I came to protect you. I came to, to call you. And yet, your decision was to reject me. Well, individual Jews have been doing that from the very beginning. God always had a remnant of Jews who were Israel, governed by God. But in these last days, Tanya, you can tell your friend that while God wants everyone to be saved, we know that not everybody's going to be saved. Jews, Paul writes to the Corinthians, have a veil covering their heart to this very day, and that veil is only ripped away when somebody turns to Jesus. And that should be our prayer for Jews. But Israel is a nation as well. That's the second entity. And Israel is a nation that God has made very specific promises to. And if you go to the prophecy of Zechariah, you can read that there are two-thirds of the Jews, when Jesus reveals himself at the end of the Great Tribulation, who are still going to reject him. One-third of the Jews, that remnant, who is going to cry out in repentance and weeping and mourning and accept Jesus Christ as their Messiah. So the promises to Israel will be fulfilled. The only way an individual Jew can inherit the promises of God is to be born again. You know, religion, and we get a lot of questions about different religions, but religion isn't seeking God. And the Jews in Jesus' day, we're studying the Gospel of Luke right now on Sundays, the Jews in Jesus' day were the most religious of all people. But they hated God. And that's what religion does. So we need to make the distinction. You can tell your friend that she needs to make the distinction between Israel as a nation and individual Jews who many are going to come into the kingdom, the ministry of the 144,000 Jewish evangelists during the Great Tribulation, um, sort of spearheaded by the ministry of the two witnesses, Moses and Elijah. You can read about them in the book of Revelation. Um, and, And those who will believe will be brought into the family of God, they will become Israel. In the millennial reign, Jesus will sit on the throne of David. And every promise to Israel will be completely fulfilled. That means every promise to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to King David, to Moses. Every promise will be fulfilled, and Israel will remain a a nation where God's people, and not just Jews, but Gentiles from all over the world, will come streaming to him year after year after year after year. Why? Because we want to be around the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So, Tanya, that's the difference between them. And yes, God's promises to them are still yes and amen. However, just like his promises to you and me, they have to be received by faith. And the Jew that rejects Jesus Christ is in a no better position than a Judas or an Annas and Caiaphas or any other Jew who cried out, give us Barabbas, crucify him. There's only one way to receive and enjoy the promises of God, and that's through Jesus Christ. So, Tanya, I hope that helps. Thank you very, very much. 
for the question. We have just under two minutes left for this half of the program. We would love your live calls and questions. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Think for a moment what it's going to be like when those promises of Isaiah are fulfilled for Jews, where they will see the lion lay with the lamb. They will see the infant playing at the hole of a viper, a snake. When the curse is reversed and the King of Kings rules in perfect righteousness. You see, that's what awaits all of us, but only in Christ. And I'm afraid, not germane to Tanya's question, but I'm afraid too many of us, we have the expectation that we deserve all those promises. That God sort of owes us the life that we want. That was what Victor's question presumed in the first half of the program. What we want to do is recognize every day the goodness of God, the the, the fabulous abundance of his grace every single day. And when and if we do that, and only if and when we do that, will we understand just how good God is and how precious his thoughts toward us are and how vast the sum of them is. We have 30 minutes left in the Wednesday show, 340-9585. You're listening to The Word to Santa for Life. I'll be back in two minutes. To the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back. We've got 30 minutes left and would love your calls. Here is a question from Sean. He says, how can we use the Bible to counter arguments about our world being systemically racist? And how do we argue with people who claim that the Bible validates American slavery? Um, Sean, let me kind of work backwards. Uh, Anybody who argues that the Bible um, validates or promotes or even condones slavery is somebody who has no understanding at all of the Bible and how to study it. Uh, using the King James language, uh, the, the word man-stealers is used in, in in conjunction with other lifestyles that will not inherit the kingdom of God. That was a very specific cultural reference to those who kidnapped others for their own benefit, their own financial gain. Slavery. So um, um, you don't argue with people who claim the Bible validates American slavery. Tell them to read the Bible. Don't just listen to what somebody else says, but read the Bible and try to understand exactly what we're saying. I say this every time I teach uh, any passage that deals with slavery. I know how sensitive people are to it. But the Bible, when it mentions slavery, has nothing to do with American slavery. It has nothing whatsoever to do uh, with the institution of slavery. God is just instructing people who are bound in slavery how they should live in order to please God and to be a blessing to others, to promote the, 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 the growth of the gospel of Christ. In the ancient world, this was not a black and white issue. This was an economic issue. And those who were slaves sold themselves into slavery or were put into slavery as a punishment because they couldn't pay debts. Some were born into slavery because they were born to people who were slaves and they were born into slavery. And and apart from buying your Roman citizenship, which was really, really expensive, there was no way out. So slavery was a fact of life. In fact, in the ancient Roman world, Slaves outnumbered freemen four to one. So this was an issue that had to be dealt with, and all, especially Paul was doing, was reporting on the facts. You're a slave, you hear a message of freedom, you get saved. How do you get out? Jesus. Just like you and I are slaves to sin or slaves to righteousness, we're slaves to something. We get to choose. Well, in the same way, Onesimus in the book of Philemon is a good example. Uh, there are others, uh, Secundus, uh, Quartus, 
um, uh, other slave names that are mentioned. Uh, Eutychus, by the way, the, the young man who was uh, fell asleep and died, and Paul raised him back to life. Um, those are common slave names. And what they found was freedom in Christ in the circumstances they were in. And for Paul to say, as so many of us seem to want him to do, well, you should rebel against your slave owner, you should run away, well, that would have been a death sentence. So Paul is giving them arguments about how to live. And please God, even within the confines of slavery. So it's nothing to do with slavery as we understand it in the United States of America. You know, we think because slaves were were here and essential to the, the growth of our nation, um, not only um, economically, but, but uh, in so many other ways. Um, but the United States is just an infant in the backdrop of history. So we've got to get over ourselves when we're reading these things and understand the text in its context. Now, Sean, how can we use the Bible to counter arguments that our world is systemically racist? That, too, is an argument that somebody will make who doesn't know a Christian. You know, the, 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 the coming to Christ is the answer for racism. I think I said on this program yesterday, in fact, I'm sure it was yesterday, uh, I say it here at Calvary Chapel all the time, whenever we come across these passages in Scripture, that it's simply impossible for somebody who is born again to remain racist. You could have been, been, been raised racist. You could have, have uh, uh, said and thought horrible things about people who are different from you. But when Jesus comes to live in your heart, he transforms us and he sets us all on equal ground. The rich and poor, the slave, the free, the Jew or the Gentile. We're all before God on level ground. And so maybe the culture that we live in is racist. I don't go so far as to say it's systemically racist, but you'd be a fool. I, I'm married to the most beautiful black woman. for We've been together for 48 years. We and our children have experienced racism. It would be foolish to deny it's out there. However, the answer is to lose your racial identity in Christ. When we become sons and daughters, we all are adopted by the one who loved us so much he gave his son for us. And we need to stop thinking the way we used to think. Paul said to the Corinthians, we used to think of things from a worldly perspective, but we no longer do. And so the Christian who gets caught up in these racial divides and arguments doesn't understand who he or she is. We need to start looking at people completely differently. And when we do, then we're the answer for the problems. We're the answer for the hysteria. And believe me, this world, Sean, that we live in needs answers. So you tell somebody who's worried about racism, the way to end racism is to get saved. That's the way to to end racism. And then if somebody demonstrates racist behavior towards you, well, then it's no different than what Jesus experienced with the way he was treated. We need to stop, especially Christians now. The world, I don't expect this up. But as Christians, we need to stop thinking of ourselves as victims. We've been set free from those bonds. All we have to do is walk in the freedom that's been purchased for us. So is our world systemically racist? I don't know. For a believer, it doesn't matter. We need to stop demanding our rights and stand up for the rights of Christ. Honestly, we who are born again have no rights. We're not our own. We're bought with a price. So, Sean, those are questions that Christians alone have the answer for. When we understand that, then we understand how blessed we are. 
Here is a question from Anonymous. Why doesn't our Bible include the Gospel of Thomas and Mary Magdalene and others? And then were they taken out? Uh, Anonymous, no, they weren't taken out. No, the, the, the Bible doesn't include them because God didn't write them. This is important to understand. Just because the word gospel, the gospel of Barnabas, the gospel of Mary Magdalene, or the gospel of Thomas. Uh, By the way, those are fairly significant and important historical documents. But the difference is they weren't written by God. Our Bible, 66 books written by 40 different authors over a period of about 1,500 years, it was the breath of God, the Spirit of God, pushing the pins of men. And that's how we have our Bible. Thomas probably wrote the Gospel according to Thomas. Mary Magdalene probably wrote her account. It's the Gospel of Phyllis, or Philip, I'm sorry. Um, And others, Barnabas. And there's historical value to them. But they're not perfect, internally consistent, because they weren't written by God himself. You know, we know, for example, I'll give you an explanation here, Anonymous, that I hope makes sense. We know that the Apostle Paul wrote three letters to the church at Corinth. What we know as 1 Corinthians is actually the second letter he wrote. 2 Corinthians is actually the third letter he wrote. But we don't have the first letter, and the reason is because it was a letter written by Paul. What we know as First and Second Corinthians were letters written by God through Paul. And that's a huge, huge difference. So no, there was nothing taken out, there was nothing left out, and certainly there's nothing at all that's missed. It's simply a matter of understanding the Bible that we have. Anonymous, let me recommend to you uh, a work by Josh McDowell. Uh, It's the newest version of Evidence That Demands a Verdict. There is an entire section in there about our Bible, the inerrancy of Scripture, how we got it, how the Word was preserved. Uh, I recommend it very, very highly. It's not simple reading, but I recommend it, uh, and it will help answer your questions. And then, instead of responding to others who say, oh, yeah, the Bible's left out a lot of books, we get Catholics who say that all the time. Uh, They'll say things like, well, your Bible was taking books out. No, our Bible didn't take anything out. The Bible that they use put books in that weren't written by God. So I hope that answers your question, Anonymous. 340-9585. Let's go to Mark from San Antonio. Mark, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi. um, My question is, uh, I'm actually in Austin listening. Um, I I I used to listen to John MacArthur some. I know he has a huge ministry, and I'm not saying anything about his ministry. He reached a lot of people, but I quit listening to him because he says tongues are demonic of the devil, a demonic deception. Everybody's speaking in tongues. It's like cooperating with demons. and. To me, it just seems like blatant blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, but I mean, I'm not, I don't know that I'm qualified to make that call, but I can't listen to him anymore because I just think it just, it's just so disturbing. I was just curious what you thought. Yeah, I can answer that, Mark. I'm, John MacArthur is uh, an enigmatic figure for me. He was so important uh, to my early years uh, of the Lord. I, I, I studied his books. I listened to his teaching. Um, what I have sadly observed over the years is he's gotten older. He's just gotten sort of mean. Um, uh, he leaves absolutely no room for honest theological differences. He is a cessationist. Uh, he believes that the gift, uh, the sign gifts, all of them and, and, and miracles have ceased. Um, if you asked him about the miracle of healing, he would sort of scoff at you. Um, he is... Uh, a man who um, maybe has outsmarted himself. Um, I, I am a, uh, a charismatic Christian. We do believe in the gifts of the Spirit. I personally have been given by God the gift of tongues and treasure it. Um, but I think what John MacArthur and many like him have done is they've overreacted to the abuses of the gifts. Um, you listen to J. Vernon McGee, who is a brilliant man. I know he doesn't sound brilliant, but he's a brilliant man. 
Um, and, and J. Vernon McGee was very, very cessationist and very straightforward. Uh, but remember, he was responding uh, to the way that the Azusa Street Revival changed the world, changed the, 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 the Christian world. And then he would see all of these other abuses and they just come to the conclusion that the gifts of the Spirit uh, have ceased, the sign gifts in particular, have ceased to be effective. So, um, I, I can't, I, like you, Mark, I cannot listen to John MacArthur. He is a born-again believer. He's been used by God to do marvelous things. I just don't think he's finishing as well as, as um, I would have hoped he would have. And at the same time as I say that, I recognize that probably when we get to heaven, um, even though I'm critical of the direction his ministry's taken, I probably won't be able to carry his lunch pail in heaven. I mean, this is a man that has been used over a 50-year period of time as a pastor in marvelous ways by the Lord. Uh, and I just don't think he's finishing that well. So I don't disagree with you at all. Uh, I'll say one other thing, Mark. I think that a lot of the direction that he's taken and sort of the the seeming lack of love in his ministry is brought on by his Reformed theology. Um, He is a diehard five-point Calvinist, and um, um, I think when you serve a God that you believe chooses some for heaven and some for hell, um, then you, you lose the heart of God, you lose the love of God. And and that's my biggest complaint with this ministry. But like you, I can't listen to him anymore. Does that help? Yeah, I appreciate that. Thanks. Okay. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate the call. From Austin, my screen says San Antonio. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is our next question from Leticia. She writes, I am a mother of a gay young man. How could God expect a mother to turn her back on her son instead of accepting him as he is and loving unconditionally? Leticia, let me phrase my answer in the form of a question. How could you, as a follower of Jesus, turn your back on Jesus in order to choose your son? You see, that's the question that needs to be asked. Believe me, I understand, and I get this question so many times from people in our church, and this isn't just from people who are gay, but, but children who have done terrible things, and and the, 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 the moms in particular are enabling them because, well, where would they go? And every time we endorse or give approval to sinful behavior, it's almost as though we're pounding the nails in Jesus' hands and feet. And by extension, we're the ones who are sentencing our own children to an eternity separated from God. Now, because you're a mother of this young man, and because I know you love him, you've got to understand that you're not doing what's best for him. If your faith isn't Viable enough to you to choose Jesus over your son, then you don't have any faith. Jesus said anybody who chooses mother, brother, sisters, we could add sons and daughters over me isn't worthy of the kingdom of God. You remember in Mark chapter 3, and I think it's in Matthew chapter 10, when Jesus' mother and his brother and his sisters came to take Jesus, take control of him because they thought he was crazy, literally out of his mind. And they went to where Jesus was speaking. Of course, there was this huge crowd around him. They couldn't get through the crowd. So they sent word, would you go tell Jesus that his mother and his brothers and his sisters are here and we want to see him? And when Jesus got the word, he looked at the crowd of people that were hanging on every word that he was saying and here's his response who are my mother and my brother and my sisters and he with the wave of his hand would have pointed the people in front of him said these are my mother and my brother and my brothers and sisters these who do the will of my father in heaven so Leticia God says you're not turning your back on your son 
you're turning your heart toward Jesus. Just as Abraham was asked to make a choice, sacrifice your son, your only son, he had to decide in that three-day journey whether he was going to love his son Isaac or love God more. The next thing we have to understand when I get a question like this is equally important. Leticia, as much as you love your son, Jesus loves him more. And Jesus is looking at people like you to represent him so that he will know that the love of God is available to him. If you accept your son as he is, and accept his sinful lifestyle. You're not loving unconditionally. What you're doing is condemning him unconditionally. Now, again, I understand the emotion here. I understand more than you can imagine how it feels, especially in a world where you're being bombarded with messages like the one you communicated in this question. The truth is and will remain that it is our duty, our responsibility to demonstrate that we love Jesus. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. I guess what I'm trying to say, Leticia, is that telling your son that he is guilty of sin and eternity of torment awaits him is not turning your back on him at all. It's trying to win his soul What value is there if you have a relationship on this earth with your son and you're old enough to have a son who's a gay, actively gay young man? So what have you got? 20, 30, 40 years left? You watch your son suffer because this is a miserable lifestyle? An empty lifestyle? A lifestyle that the enemy will try to destroy? What do you gain if you have 20 or 30 or 40 years left with him and you're separated from him for eternity? How would you explain to Jesus that you chose your son instead of him? See, those are the questions that need to be asked. We need to set our hearts and minds on things above. That's the Apostle Paul writing to the Colossians in chapter 3. Your heart, Leticia, your mind is set on the things of earth, not on the things above. So please consider that. Please, please, please consider that. Here is an an another anonymous question. Why is there so much pain and confusion with people who struggle with gender confusion? Before I answer this question, let me just say, you can see the questions that have been coming in for the last few weeks. These are questions that we never would have had to ask before because we knew the answers. But this is just a demonstration of how effective the world is doing in terms of a sales job on a worldly point of view. So let me tell you why there's so much pain and confusion when people struggle with gender confusion. It's because they're rebelling against God. And there's always going to be pain and confusion when we fail to accept the realities of life, the reality of God's design, I can't tell you how cruel and evil it is, Anonymous, to tell somebody who says, well, I think I'm a woman trapped in a man's body or a man trapped in a woman's body, and and I'm going to live a a transgender life. I want people to accept me for who I am. When we fall into line with that kind of thinking, then we're the cause of the struggle and the pain and the confusion. That's how important this question is. When somebody struggles with gender confusion, the reality of our bodies, of our DNA, makes it a simple solution. You were born male, accept your maleness. You were born female, accept your femaleness. Except the fact that as we become Christians, Christ lives in us. That means that we become the body that he lives in. 
And if we dishonor the body that he lives in, then we have no part of him. So the pain and confusion is caused, and please never forget this. There's an enemy who wants to kill, to rob, and to destroy. And because so many people, our young people, not just our young people, we have grown men and women married with children, leaving their marriages, leaving their children, leaving their lives because the world convinced them that you can be whatever and whoever you want to be. We never would have believed. It seems like just a few years ago, but it's been more than a few now, when Bruce Jenner began to transition into being a woman. We had no idea that it would create what's been created. And the result is a world that is so confused, a world that is so mixed up, a world that is in even more pain and confusion. You see, rebelling against God never answers any of the questions. What's the purpose of life? Is it to be happy or is it to serve God? Now, obviously we know, Anonymous, these questions come from people in the world, but we are Christians. We're being won over by the world's arguments. Phony compassion. We want to be considered loving and non-judgmental, so we buy into it. And the truth is there's going to be nothing but more and more pain and confusion. It's just just getting started. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. Tonight we've got 2 Samuel chapter 16. You can watch it at calvarysa.com. Tomorrow, beautiful Paula will be live in studio with me on the date day edition of the program. It's her birthday. We'll see you tomorrow at 4. God bless. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The word to stand on for life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.